All right, last week we were talking about being open wide to mission because we've been looking at habits that make for seeking God, sharing life, and serving the world, right? This is, our, this is why we exist. We exist to make passionate followers of Jesus who seek God, share life, serve the world. But what does it really mean to seek God, share life, serve the world? So since January, we've been looking at specific habits of how to seek God, how to share life. And now, right now, we are in the mode of habits that make for serving the world. Last week, we talked about Philip and the Ethiopian, how he was wide open to God's mission, no matter where he was, no matter what time it was. That's a habit for serving the world. It's not just serving the world, uh, you know, when it's convenient, but serving the world, being a servant of God, always living on mission. And so today, we're going to be looking at something called, um, I've, I've entitled this Fishing in Style. All right, fishing in style. So let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This is kind of where we started this entire series to begin with. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Just kind of getting back to the basics of what Jesus calls us to. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. When you found it, say amen. All right. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20 begins like this. I'm reading from the New King James, and it says this. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a what into the sea? Casting a net into the sea. For they were what kind of men? They were fishermen. Okay. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets. And followed him. Jesus, in just that, those, I don't know, how, how many words is that? Seven words? Maybe not, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten words. In ten simple words, he gives a call and a promise. He gives a call and a promise. Do you see the call? What's the call specifically? Follow me. Okay. What's the promise? Yeah, I will make you fishers of men. How many of you today have accepted the call to follow Jesus? Yeah? Maybe some of us, you know, different seasons in our life, or even right now, we're, we're uh, in that valley of decision. Should I keep following, or should I actually, should I give all to follow? I tell you what, when we accept this call to follow, there is a promise that Jesus wants to fulfill, and that promise is that he is going to make us. He's going to make us into fishers of men. Really interesting word right there, make. It comes from a Greek word. I don't know how many of you can read that. It's poieo. That's the English transliteration right there, poieo. To make, produce, form, and fashion. I like that. When Jesus says, hey, if you're going to follow me, I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to form you into something. I'm going to fashion you. And specifically, he says, I'm going to fashion you into fishers of men. He doesn't throw aside their present identity. Instead, he takes their present identity and recasts it, recalibrates it into something, the best version of themselves, so to speak. And it's for the sake of other people. I'm going to make you, produce you, transform you, construct you, form you, fashion you, into a fisher of men. This word, this poieo verb, it's actually found in the Greek uh, New Testament as a, a noun. And the, the word for the noun version of it is poiema. Poiema. Can you guys say poiema? Poiema. Yeah, here it is. 
in, uh, there, here's a reference where poema is used in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, and that word handiwork is poema, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love it. I love that we are God's handiwork. The New Living Translation says you are God's masterpiece. Poema, it's the word that we get the, the English word, poem. I don't know if you've ever sat down to read a poem before, or to write a poem before. But for me, I don't know, maybe it's just my brain. It takes a long while. <laughs> I've got to think. I've got to, like, what, what rhymes with this? You know, is this really what I want to say? And when God looks at you and me, he has poured over you intense amount of creative energy and thought to form you and fashion you so that you are called his masterpiece. And this verse comes right after verses 8 and 9, right? Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it's for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For you are God's workmanship. In other words, when we are saved by grace, not by our works, but by God's work, he says, you know what? Don't focus on your works. Just realize your identity as God's handiwork. <laughs> God says, no, you are my work. It's God at work in us. And it says that when he works this masterpiece, he has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you realize that God has tailor-made a life mission for you? God has prepared in advance good works for you, only you, to do. Do you believe that today? I mean, that's the miracle of grace. The gospel of grace is you've been saved not just so that you can have a clear conscience, but so that you can be living on purpose. So that you can fulfill a large mission. And that mission is divinely appointed. You are God's handiwork, he says. Is it possible that when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you, I will form you, I'll make you this masterpiece that's a fisher of men, is it possible that we have all received that same call to follow, that we have all received the same call to be fishers of men, but is it possible that while we've all been called to be fishers, we've been given different gifts to fish in different styles? Do you follow me? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there are times where you hear, oh man, Jesus is going to make me into a fisher of men. I don't want to be Mark Finley. <laughs> you know, I don't know what comes to mind when you're thinking to yourself, oh man, God is going to use me to fish for men, to catch other people. And you have this particular picture that's very narrow. But what if God actually has a bigger picture? And says, you know, you're going to fish, but you're not going to fish like Mark. You're not going to fish like Sean Boonster. You're not going to fish like David. You're going you're to fish like Bill Van Patten. <laughs> you're going to fish just like I masterfully created you to fish. When I realized this, it, it uh, relieved a lot of pressure <laughs> from my shoulders. It relieved a sense of, I need to fit this certain mold in order to be an effective fisher of men. And friends, I believe that if we're going to go from strength to strength, we need to understand that God has called us to fish, not in someone else's style, but in the style that he has masterfully created you to fish in. Yeah? So that's what we're going to study today. What are those fishing styles? We're going to find six of them. Uh, we're going to, I, bet, I bet there are probably more. But this is, this is what I could come up with, okay? <laughs> so we're going to look for six fishing styles. And even in, in Jesus' own inner circle, in, in his own 12, you see various fishing styles. So, for example, we're going to go to the first one. Fishing style number one is, uh, 
this doesn't sound great, but, uh, but this is the best word I could come up with. It's the confrontational style, all right? Fishing style number one is the confrontational style. Prime example, exhibit A, if you will, is Peter, Peter himself. Okay, go, to, go with me to the book of Acts. We're going to flip through a lot of pages of scripture today. So go to the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 2. Here is Peter. I mean, you already know from the stories that you're aware of in Scripture where, where Peter is kind of the first one to speak up. He's kind of the, the most vocal of the disciples. And here in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had come upon them, there are many, many people gathered in Jerusalem. They're, they're drawn to this event. What, has going, what is going on here? And Peter is the first one to stand up. And in verse 14, Acts chapter 2, verse 14, if you're there, say Amen. All right, verse 14, the Bible says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. And Peter goes on to preach for probably a good three minutes. And as a result of that, 3,000 are baptized that day. I don't know, maybe it's more than three minutes. I hope it's more than three minutes because, anyways, okay, here we go. But look at, look at further down into the sermon. Uh, where is it? Verse 36. Look at how Peter gets to this. He's, he's gone through various prophecies in Scripture and saying, no, this isn't just some strange phenomenon. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. And in verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Do you hear the confrontational dynamic there, Peter? He's, kind of, he's not necessarily getting in their face, but he is making the truth plain. You crucified this one. And he is both Lord and Christ. In verse 38, he says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then down in verse 40, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. This is Peter in full confrontational mode. This is, this is the kind of individual that is very direct, very bold, skips the small talk and gets straight to the point. Do you know any individuals like that? Uh, maybe you're one of those. Um, I am not. <laughs> I'm someone who, even if they're dead wrong as they're talking to me, I will just smile and nod. You know? <laughs> mm, that's interesting. Never thought of it that way. You know, I am not the confrontational. T- I have uh, Steve Hamilton you've met. Um, when I was a, a youth kid and I saw him working through different dynamics that were not very enviable in church, uh, he, he told me, man, I thrive on confrontation. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you go, boy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Anyways, if you're confrontational, I want you to know that God can use that very directness for his glory to fish for people who need to be confronted with the truth. He did it for Peter. He did it through Peter, I should say. I mean, and you think about Old Testament examples. It reminds me, it's reminiscent of Old Testament prophets who are like, man, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to go down. So repent. You know, this is the style of, of, uh, of reaching out, of fishing that some people are gifted with and masterfully created with. All right. How about uh, number two? Fishing style number two. This is the intellectual style. And I think a prime example of this is Paul himself. Um, let's go to Acts. Acts chapter 18. Oh, I hope this is the story that I'm thinking of. Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, yeah, there we go. And we're looking at verse 4. Looking at verse 4. 
The Bible says this, and he, speaking of Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. All right, you, you hear the action words there? He reasoned with them. He persuaded them. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a story of Paul preaching in this uh, third f- floor room where a young man fell out of the window. You remember that? Yeah, anyways, the, the word there is that he was dialoguing back and forth. And so here's Paul. He's someone who uses his intellectual, just like his, his analytical processes to help people journey through a logical conclusion. All right? This is the intellectual style. It's analytical, it's logical, it's inquisitive, asks questions, and even uh, kind of maybe shading more towards the confrontational, thrives in debate dynamics. All right? So this is Paul, and I would even say there is another individual just later on in the chapter. His name is Apollos. He comes to town. Uh, yeah, let's take a look. Verse 24. Verse 24, it says, And now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. It turns out in verse 26 that Aquila and Priscilla hear this guy, Apollos, and said, hey, we need to show him a little bit more beyond just the baptism of John. Uh, Maybe he wasn't certain about the the fulfillment of the promised Messiah and things like that. And so Aquila and Priscilla take him home. By verse 27, notice it says this, when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Why? Verse 28, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. All right? So here is another, another style. Peter is confrontational. He'll just state, state the facts, and he'll, he'll kind of confront you with where you're wrong. Okay? And then this intellectual style will help people reason through a different conclusion, maybe a, a different conclusion than the, what they already had previously. So we've got the confrontational style, the intellectual style. And if you're looking for an Old Testament example of the intellectual style, I, I think of Solomon, right? Um, someone who asked for wisdom and was, according to Scripture, the wisest man who ever lived. And there's a story in Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles um, chapter 9, where the Queen of Sheba comes. And her testimony after visiting Solomon is, he answered all my questions. Okay, this is someone who is gifted, specifically wired with that intellectual style of fishing, of fishing. All right. So we've got the confrontational style, the fish, uh, sorry, the fish style, the, uh, the intellectual style. Number three, the testimonial style, testimonial. Um, and I think the prime example of this is John. In all of John's writings, you don't really hear a lot of sermons in, in what you see are stories. They're stories of things that he has seen, things that he has heard of God's love. In other words, he's sharing his, his testimony, his experience. Go with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. It's near the back. We're not looking at the Gospel of John. We're looking at 1 John chapter 1. It's close to Revelation. If you've gotten to Revelation, you've gone a little too far. <laughs> All right, 1 John chapter 1. And notice how he begins a letter in order to teach. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. If you're there, say, I found it. All right? 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. says this, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, 
that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, here, just, just kind of plainly, John's just basically saying, I'm just sharing to you what I've seen and what I've heard. And this, what I've seen and heard, is actually going to draw you not just into fellowship with us, but it's going to draw you into fellowship with Jesus, because his story is not about himself. His story is about Jesus. Again, uh, when you look at the writings of John, you're not going to find a lot of sermons. You're going to find a lot of stories. You're going to find him sharing his experience. When you look at the book of Revelation, for example, these are all pictures. These are all saying, hey, look, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. Um, Other examples in the gospel you see in John chapter 9. Actually, you look through uh, John's gospel and you find people sharing their story sharing their story. Um, For example, John chapter 9, there's a blind man who is healed. He was blind from birth. And um, he's brought to the the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and they're asking him, hey, what happened? Who who did this to you and stuff? And he said, look, I don't know how it happened, but all I know is that I was blind and now I see, right? That's the the testimony. This, This is what John likes to share all throughout his gospel. You think about John the Baptist at the beginning of John. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I didn't know him except that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Anyways, John the Baptist is sharing his story. So we've got the confrontational style, the intellectual style. And you can call this a testimonial style or if it's easier to remember, the story style. This is what God has done in my life. Okay? So we've got three styles so far. We've got three more to go. The fourth one is the interpersonal style. Interpersonal style. Go with me to Matthew. I'm sorry. Luke, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and we're taking a look at one of Jesus' disciples, Levi Matthew. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to go to verse 27. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. All right. The Bible says this, After these things, he, speaking about Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. All right, so here's Jesus. He's actually calling a tax collector. You know, someone who wasn't necessarily highly looked upon in the culture of that day. He called him to follow. What does Matthew do? What does Levi do? So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Now notice verse 29. Then Levi gave him, Jesus, a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of who? Of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. So here's Levi Matthew. He is so elated that he gets to follow Jesus. And the very first thing, his natural response is to help others see how cool this guy is. (laughs) And what he does, he doesn't just like, confront his friends with a sermon on a soapbox. He doesn't reason with them from argument to argument. He doesn't necessarily even tell them a story of how Jesus called him. What he does is he throws a party and he uses his relationships to allow for more connection. He uses those interpersonal dynamics to let those relationships of trust build naturally and just grow from there. All right. He's, he's using proximity. He's using um, friendship. He values the mingling impact of relationships. And so this is what the interpersonal fisherman thinks and feels. He says, you know what? I may not be very eloquent. I may not have a lot to share. I may not even have a dramatic story that I can tell other people. 
But what I can do is create environments where relationships can happen. And by virtue of relationships, the gospel will be shared. Right, this is the interpersonal fisherman. Do you follow that? Yes or no? Yeah? Does that make sense? Cool. So um, I think when I think of uh, Old Testament examples of this, you know, Daniel comes to mind. Daniel was someone who didn't do a lot of preaching, but he just lived in such a way that he built relationships of trust. And out of those relationships, I believe Nebuchadnezzar is going to be converted or that, that Nebuchadnezzar was converted and we'll, we'll see him in heaven someday. You know, out of those relationships of trust, Daniel exemplified something. I mean, for Cyrus, for Darius, Daniel just lived a life and through his interpersonal dynamics, shared the gospel. This is beautiful. Uh, so that's the interpersonal fisherman. All right, what's next? We've got the confrontational, the intellectual, testimonial, and interpersonal. Here's another one, the invitational. The invitational fisherman. As you can see, this is a fisherman who relies on invitations, okay? And so exhibit A, um, I think about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Her story is in John chapter 4. Let's go there very quickly. So you're in Luke. Go to the next book, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 29. Her story is awesome. I mean, the encounter that Jesus has, very intentional. Jesus really has it in his mind to, to travel this road so that he could meet her. And um, by the time their conversation kind of draws to an end, she is convicted that this person is more than just a, a strange man who is talking to Samaritan women. She is convicted that this is the Messiah. And in verse 29, um, actually, I'll start a little bit earlier. So in verse 28, there it is. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Wasn't a huge sermon, but it was a simple invitation. Come and see something. <laughs> Come and see something. And notice the results of that simple invitation. Then they went out of the city and came to him. And then notice in verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. And in verse 42, I love this. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. One invitation leads a whole city to Jesus. Boom! <laughs> Man, you know, in Psalm, I think it's Psalm 34, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a simple invitation. It's not an argument. It's not an eloquent message. It's not a dramatic story. There isn't even like a, a strong relationship there. It's just a simple, hey, come, come check it out. Come check it out. And as a response to that invitation, a whole city gathers at the feet of Jesus. So the invitational style is, um, I would say it's, it's persuasive, but not necessarily in the intellectual persuasive sort of way. It's persuasive just by sheer like, curiosity and interest. It's, uh, the invitational person enjoys meeting people. And I would even say that the invitational person enjoys extending hospitality. The invitational fisherman is someone like this woman. The invitational fisherman is someone like Andrew. Andrew the disciple. You don't hear very much from Andrew 
in the Gospels. But whenever you do see Andrew, he is bringing someone to Jesus. I don't know if you know that. In John chapter 1, he brings his brother Peter. In John chapter 6, he brings a little lad to Jesus, right? In John chapter 12, he brings Greeks who are traveling from afar and who want to see Jesus. He brings them to Jesus. Every time he's inviting someone to come to Jesus. Anyways, it's a powerful style. So we've got five so far. Um, We've got another one left. And here it is. Fishing style number six. It doesn't end with an A-L, sorry, service style. Anyways, okay. So we've got confrontational, intellectual, testimonial, um, boy, interpersonal, invitational, and then service. Okay. This is supposed to stand out. Service. This is another style of fishing. You may not think to yourself, man, how, how does how serving people actually fish for people? This, isn't, this is just like a, a doing kind of thing. Well, I tell you what, let's look at the story of Tabitha, who is otherwise known as Dorcas. Go with me to the book of Acts again. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, there's this story of a woman named Tabitha who, uh, you know, actually falls sick, eventually dies before Peter or any of the other other apostles could get there to, to pray for her, to be of service. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 36 is where we'll start the story. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. Acts chapter 6, verse 39. I'm sorry, verse 36. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. There we go. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of what? Good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Right? The biography on Tabitha isn't huge. It's not about how you know, great of a preacher she was. It's not about how many invitations she extended. It's not about how many doors she knocked on. Her simple biography is this. She was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. The story happens that you know, Tabitha falls to rest. The sickness overcomes her. And when Peter gets to the scene, it says this, uh, verse 39. Verse 39, then Peter arose, went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows, probably all the widows of town, of Joppa, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. She was caring for people's needs, especially widows' needs. And in verse 40, the Bible says, But Peter put them all out, knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. It's a beautiful story. Awesome power of Christ, the resurrected Christ, to to actually bring life from the dead. But what I want to hone in on is just Tabitha's impact. All the widows of town were deeply impacted, not by her sermons, but by her service. She was full of good works and charitable deeds. You see, the service-style fisherman is someone who is patient, is someone who is, who is active, who is a doer, yet people-oriented. You know, it's, it's possible to be a doer and very task-oriented, like totally uh, careless of the people around you. But the, the service-style fisherman is someone who is actively doing, very diligent about the, the, the performance of deeds, yet the deeds aren't the ends in themselves. It's the people that are impacted by that. The, the, the service-style fisherman recognizes needs and is quick to meet them. They love through their actions, not just through their words. 
They value, they value even small tasks because they know that it's going to amount to someone's blessing. And that was Tabitha. That was Dorcas. When I think of Old Testament examples, actually the person that comes to mind is Abraham. Abraham, you don't hear a lot again. You don't hear a lot about Abraham like witnessing to the nations or whatever. But his simple acts did have an impact. Wherever he went, he built an altar. Um, when, he, when his nephew was uh, you know, captured by kings from, from Sodom, oh man, Abraham went into action. <laughs> he was all about doing stuff for other people. When Abraham um, was sitting in his tent and he saw three strangers coming his way, he was quick to serve them. You see, it's the service-style fisherman that actually has impact on other people that maybe the intellectual, maybe the, the confrontational cannot. I mean, can you imagine someone who has no regard for the Bible being confronted with someone who is trying to, to say, the Bible is true, you need to stand on it. No. What that person needs is probably a service-style fisherman to melt their heart and to say, you know what? Um, let's not get into arguments here. How can I bless you? And out of that, maybe a relationship of trust, maybe they'll be introduced to an invitational-style fisherman who will then use interpersonal dynamics and even share their, share their story with other people. Anyway, so you, you see how, how all of these things, uh, God has uniquely and purposefully designed the body of Christ to be filled with different kinds of fishermen. Are we okay with that today? We don't all have to be the same style of fishermen. In order to serve God, in order to serve the world, God does not expect us to fit into a pigeonhole kind of corner, uh, cookie cutter kind of fisher style. All right? And so here's just kind of the, the summary of it. Confrontational, intellectual, testimonial, interpersonal, invitational, and service. And I wonder today, is, as we've looked at these different styles, have you seen yourself in the styles that we've talked about? Yeah? Yeah. Maybe you, you, you resonate with one in particular. Maybe there's a combination of styles that you kind of tend towards. And what's neat about this is that is exactly what you're supposed to see. <laughs> you're supposed to see yourself and realize, whoa, even though I'm not a Mark Finley, or even though I'm not a Tabitha, God can still use me as I am. He's going to make me. He's going to masterpiece me into the kind of fisherman that he has called me to be. We're called to fish, and we're called to fish in style. <laughs> Can we be okay with that? You know, I, I like how Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, he uses two metaphors. He says, you're the light of the world, and he also says, you're the salt of the earth, right? Light does, does things to reveal um, reality, I guess. You know, if we had no light, we wouldn't be able to perceive the world around us. Light, when God says we are light, it's, it's talking, he's talking about the ways that we share the content of the truth. When he's talking about salt, salt comes in close into contact with the substance that it's trying to preserve or flavor. And so he's talking about ways that we come close to people. You see, we all have ways that we tend to share truth, the content of the truth, and then we all have ways that we tend to build trust, build relationships. We all have ways that we tend to be light. We all have ways that we tend to be salt. And I would say that these first three are, are different ways that we share truth. We can either confront people, we can reason with people, or we can just share our story. Right? That, that, those are light styles. These last three are different ways that we kind of build relationships. We, we mingle, we invite, we do. Do you follow that? Yeah? And so we all have different styles. We all have different um, ways that God has wired us. 
And the point is that God has uniquely fashioned each and every one, and God is uniquely fashioning each and every one of us to operate as fishermen naturally. In other words, evangelism and sharing our faith doesn't have to be unnatural. Did you know that? <laughs> I don't know. Like last weekend at the uh, It Is Written training and stuff, um, you know, when, when, once we start talking about going door to door, then like people's blood pressure raises and heartbeats escalate and things like that. And you know what? That not, may not be your style. And that's totally okay. <laughs> you can be relieved to know that, okay, that's just one avenue of being light or salt, right? God has uniquely wired me. Now, does that mean that you can't do that if it's not your style? That you should just like run the other way whenever there's an opportunity? No, 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 no. God may call you to stretch yourself. God may call you out of your comfort zone because what if? What if the, maybe, maybe the method isn't necessarily your comfort, but what if there's someone on the other side of that door who is so, like on this side of the spectrum that they don't need the, the confrontational, but they need someone to simply say, you know what, when I read this study guide, it totally changed my life. The simple testimonial. That's, that's exactly what happened uh, last week, actually. I was, I was out with Andy. Andy's not here, so uh, anyways. But uh, man, it was such a blessing just to watch him I mean, he's, he can be a big dude, right? Like, he, he can be kind of imposing to people. But man, when, when, when you see his smile, everything melts. It's so awesome. So w- there was a door that opened up. We were looking for a gentleman named Eric. And um, Andy just said four simple sentences. I were looking for Eric to, to give him the study guides that he requested. He took the study. Oh, that's me. That's me. And then he simply said, you know what? I've read something similar to this, and it totally changed my life. I saw Eric's eyes just pop wide open. Okay, yeah, I'll do this. I'll do this. And it was just so simple. Like, he didn't need to reason with him or anything. He didn't need to argue him down. He just simply shared a story. And he told me when we first went out, he's like, dude, I'm scared. But he was smiling when he said it. It's yeah. <laughs> like, I'm scared, but I'll go. <laughs> and that's the point. You know, the, the method may not necessarily be your fit, but what if the person needs you? Yeah? Don't be bothered by the methods. Realize that God is going to put you in a position to do, the, like Ephesians chapter 2, he has prepared in advance good works for you to do, to fish for that kind of person. Because there are people all along the spectrum. Someone on this spectrum needs the confrontational. Someone on this spectrum or side of the spectrum needs the service. And everywhere in between, God needs you. Why? Because humanity needs you. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Actually, let's, let's, take, let's take a look at that. This is powerful. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, if I can find it. It's close to 1 John, if you remember where that one is. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Why does God do it this way? Is it just because he, you know, he's just hyper-creative and has to give many, many options? <laughs> or what's the story? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says this, as each one has received a gift. Praise the Lord, each one of us has received a spiritual gift. There's none of us who is lacking a spiritual gift. As each one has received a, a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the, and here's how the New King James puts it, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Does anybody else's Bible say it different besides manifold grace of God? 
varied. Yeah, yeah. The literal meaning of that word in Greek is various colored. You know? I mean, you think about a spectrum, like a color spectrum. You've got all the different primary colors, but then like every shade in between. God's grace is manifold. It's varied. It's, it's various colored. Why is it so different across the board? Why? It's because humanity's need is manifold. There is manifold grace, various colored grace for the various colored need of humanity. Sin's curse has wrecked havoc upon humanity's heart. And God needs manifold grace in order to minister to the manifold need of humanity. He needs manifold fishermen and fisherwomen to minister to the manifold need of broken humanity. There's something very urgent about this call to fish. In Luke chapter 5, in verse 10, uh, the way that Jesus uh, says it for, for Simon Peter in that version of the gospel, it says, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, what I found as I was just kind of picking apart just this idea of fishing is that in Luke, when he says this word catch, the word is very unique. It's zogreo. And it's only used one other time in scripture. It's talking about taking something captive, but taking it alive as captive. It's really interesting. And the only other time in scripture that it's used, at least in the New Testament, is here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, then they will come to their senses. This is talking about people in verse 25. It's talking about people who oppose the truth of God. And it says that then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by who? By who, who is the him? For they have been held captive by Satan to do whatever he wants. Whoa! So in, in 2 Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy, hey guys, hey, preach the word. Keep ministering even to those who oppose the truth. Keep sharing the truth with them. Why? Because they have been held captive. They have been zogreo. They've been held alive by the devil. And Jesus knows the situation. He says, follow me because I want you to take captive those who are captive by Satan. Take back alive. It's interesting that that same Greek word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is used to describe Rahab. <laughs> you remember the story of Rahab? The story of Jericho, when the spies were going out, and Rahab says, hey, look, I've helped you guys, so when you take this city, take me captive alive. Rescue me from this situation. There are people who are held captive by the devil's trap. This call to fish is not just some pun, uh, some play on words that Jesus is using. He's saying, no, no, I'm actually sending you out to capture back those who have been captured. When I call you to fish, it's a matter of life and death. When I call you to fish, I want you to fish in style, but realize there's a deep urgency there. People are living under the devil's sway, and they have no clue. But when you fish in style, you're going to take back captives alive. Mm, I want to fish. <laughs> you know, I want to catch men like this. I want to fish in style. I want to be part of a culture, a dynamic, a community of fishermen and fisherwomen who look at a community and say, you know what? It's more than just pushing my own agenda. There are captives. And God is calling me to take those captives back. 
Yeah. So as you hear this, simple appeal is to go catch, <laughs> go fish, and go fish in style. That's a simple appeal today. Lean on your God-given strengths and catch captives. Don't, don't worry about the, the apparent weaknesses that you have, the apparent situations that might seem uncomfortable. No, just, just recognize that God has given you a unique, masterfully handcrafted wiring so that you can catch men and women. Cultivate the habit of, as we talked about last week, of being wide open to mission 24-7. But then cultivate the habit. Here's the, here's the specific habit for serving the world. Cultivate the habit of fishing in style. Cultivate the habit of going on mission in your unique style. And, you know, another appeal I would simply extend is pray and plead for who to catch. Who is it that God is calling you to catch? Maybe it's someone already in your sphere of influence. Maybe it's someone that God has yet for you to meet. But God is going to lead you, just as he led the apostles of old, just as he's leading us today. Um, and you know what? If you're, if you're saying, man, I, I want to be someone who can take captives back, um, and you're, you're feeling the need for, for encouragement in this, maybe you need to just turn to somebody and say, hey, look, uh, what is my fishing style? What do you think? You know, maybe you need someone to give feedback to you, or maybe you just need an accountability partner to say, you know what? I'll pray with you so that God can keep using you to be a fisher of men. Maybe you want to connect with someone week after week and say, look, let's pray over two people each, you know? Um, you're wanting to catch this person. I'm wanting to catch this person. Let's just pray for those people specifically for the next few weeks, you know? Um, find an accountability partner. Find a prayer partner. Find a, a fishing partner. Fishing is often more fun uh, together than by yourself. All right. I've done enough talking, but I think the word has, has at least allowed us to hold up a mirror and say, you know what? That's me. How many of you want to say, Jesus, I want to follow. Please teach me to fish. Yeah? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you love us like this. <laughs> that you love us so much to not just... Um, not just call us into like a... a uh, cookie-cutter mold. That when you call us to follow, you want to remake us into the best version of ourselves possible. You're calling us, Lord, to fish. You're calling us to a life-and-death mission. And Lord, if you're calling us, you're going to be faithful to equip us. So thank you. You know, as I look out here, uh, my friends, I, I see just so many styles and I love it. And I, I pray, Father, that as we make ourselves available, that you would use each of these God-given gifts and strengths to have saving impact in people's lives. Lord, last week, we began to pray that simple prayer. Lord, use me to have saving impact on someone's life. And Lord, you want to keep praying that prayer. Keep giving you permission to lead us to fulfill your mission in and around us. Thank you that we can do it in style. Thank you for relieving us of the pressure to have to fit somebody else's mold or expectations. So Holy Spirit, have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. Amen.